In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and to my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. Today's Gospel from from St. Luke, chapter 17, is filled with all kinds of uh, apocalyptic language, that is, language that deals with the end times. And this comes directly from, from the mouth of our Lord Himself. He, he speaks about Noah and the ark. He refers to this image of uh, Lot fleeing from Sodom and his wife perishing as she looked back, becoming a pillar of salt because she looked back. And uh, then he says, the Son of Man will be revealed. Son of Man was a phrase that came from the prophet Daniel. And everybody understood that uh, it was the Messiah, it was uh, a figure that would come to reveal himself at the end times and he said uh, that whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it who who died in order to safeguard not himself he died he died in order to safeguard his uh, attempt to uh, to bring about unity between the orthodox church and the catholic church as you know in the 11th century in 1054 there was the formal split or the schism that took place between the Eastern Church and the, and, and the Western Church the Eastern Church being based in Constantinople and the Western Church of course in Rome and it was a very painful moment in the history of the Church and, and uh, you know all the people the Christians in the East followed the Eastern liturgy and they followed certain practices that were not followed in the West, like they had married priests and a slight difference in theology, not not dramatically different, but uh, but it took a long time. It took like five centuries in this area that we know today as the Ukraine, where uh, basically a number of bishops were committed to bringing millions of Christians back. Uh, and, reun- and uniting them again with Rome, but there were factions that were against this, and um, and this is where Saint Josephat comes in. Amidst this upheaval, he tried to foster peace. He was a monk, and he tried to foster that, and they tried to kill him several times. And indeed, uh, that is those who were against the union with Rome. But this was so important to him that. He risked his life on many occasions, and uh, their threats, in fact, became public. So much so that he pr- it was it was a very dramatic moment, and and so the Ukrainian Catholic Church is still, of course, today united to Rome, even though they have their own Byzantine liturgy, but they are very much united to Rome. It's called the Ukrainian Catholic Church. There's also Ukrainian. Orthodox Church but he was willing to give his life had he sought to preserve his life well you know he would lose it in another 
contradiction because we all want to preserve our life we all want to protect it safeguard it what do you really mean here Lord as we hear your words whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it you could say whoever wants to have a comfortable life will will not truly have true peace will lose it it seems contradictory to say that if you seek something seek to save your life you'll lose it and uh, other places our Lord says whoever really wants to follow me must deny himself take up his cross and follow me well taking up your cross is a way of saying that you're going to suffer and you're going to die that's what the cross was we hear this and some people certain, certainly are frightened by this language they think maybe our Lord is asking too much that uh, he's asking us to lose our life and others reject the very principle that has become so central to Christianity the, the principle of self-giving of dying to oneself that's the principle that our Lord is articulating here many in the atheist regimes have re- rejected this like people like like Frederick Nietzsche who who died in 1900 he would have been absolutely indignant at this phrase of our Lord. And he continually, in his writings, warns his readers against this kind of project of self-giving, this project of dying to oneself. He says it's a dangerous project. And uh, today you can go to any undergraduate philosophy school or philosophy course and you'll find Nietzsche in all the survey courses sometimes given a very important prominence and I think for a long time he was number one bestseller on Amazon you know but uh, it, it kind of usually reads like a kind of simplistic sort of historical critique of tradition he calls this idea of giving oneself a slave morality because you deny yourself but the Lord speaks clearly that we will not be truly happy if we only seek to preserve our life. If we only seek to seek out pleasure and sensuality and all those things that seem to, let's call it that, make life apparently enjoyable. If we seek only our well-being, if we're not ready to give our hearts, or if like Nietzsche, we, you know, we refuse to give our heart to God. This is what, of course... Nietzsche refused to do I mean it's no wonder that Nietzsche eventually went mad I mean he just went completely crazy he went into an insane asylum he was very ill too from all kinds of terrible diseases that were due to his lifestyle in fact Pope Benedict was the first Pope to actually quote Nietzsche in his encyclical Deus Caritas Est God is love. And indeed, he, Pope Benedict, responds quite um, clearly to Nietzsche's accusation that, that Christianity has poisoned this eros. The eros is this kind of love. You know, uh, um, he, he says, as he describes the Nietzschean take on self-gift, as being something poisonous inside it. So, you know, as soon as you, you give in to your pleasures, you're, you're told, no, you can't do this. 
according to Nietzsche. So Pope Benedict says, two things emerge clearly from this rapid overview of the concept of eros, past and present. First, there is a certain relationship between love and the divine. Love promises infinity, eternity, a reality far greater and totally other than our everyday existence. Yet we have also seen that the way to attain this goal is not simply by submitting to instinct. Purification and growth in maturity are called for. And these also pass through the path of renunciation. Far from rejecting or, quote, poisoning eros, they heal it and restore its grandeur, its true grandeur. It's a beautiful passage from the beginning of Deus Caritas Est, the purifying role that this renunciation has and um, we know from St. Augustine's basic insight into the human condition that that famous line that he would say, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right? So we're like, we're made for God. And, uh, you know, the human person wishes to give himself to something higher than himself, something that is, is greater than himself. And this is what the Lord points to when he says that, you know, if you really want to preserve your life, you have to lose it. Because you're giving yourself to something greater. And it is to give ourselves to something greater, as the Pope says here, to tap into this divine, this infinity, what promises infinity, It's, it's something that we all need. It's, it's, a, it's in our nature and it's fundamental. So we have to see if we're on truly the right path. If we're loving in the right way, in a way that will lead us to this infinite or this divine. Perhaps an image can help us. It's an image that was uh, presented by Rainiero Cantalamessa in, in a few years ago. He's the papal, the preacher of the papal household. This might clarify. He says that during the Nazi persecution, many trains full of Jews traveled from every part of Europe to the extermination camps. They were induced to get on trains by false promises of being taken to places that would be better for them. Imagine, they were placed on these trains and they were told, this is going to be good for you. When in fact they were actually being taken, as you know, to their destruction. They were being taken to these concentration camps. But they thought this was going to be a better place. That's what they were told. And in fact it happened that at some of the stops on the way, somebody who really knew the truth called out and, uh, and told some of the passengers, get off, get off, run away. These are going to concentration camps. Get off these trains. And in fact, some people managed to get off. 
but most of them didn't. They just stayed on these trains. Well, probably because they were barricaded in. But so, I mean, it's a it's a stark image. But the train of life on which we are traveling on is going clearly towards death. I mean, not exactly the concentration camp, but we are going towards death. That's why the month of November reminds us of this by inviting us to pray for all those who have gone before us. And uh, maybe they've gone before us, but we will also arrive there one day. It's inevitable that we will die. We know we are immortal. Nobody, nobody doubts this. But we don't often reflect on, you could say, on the meaning of this now. That is, on what train am I on now? With my behavior, with my actions... Where is it really leading me, the way I, I'm living? Is it a train mainly or principally about achieving better recognition or better human successes? Is it a train to fulfill my own urges? You know, when you got up this morning to come to school or come to work, or was it a train of more self-aggrandizement, self-affirmation? I want my co-workers, my, my fellow students to think well of me? To like the work I do or the studies? Or maybe my train is just a first-class train to more promotions of some kind. I do have to recognize that, of course, this affects me too. I've, I've preached uh, here and there, as you know, and uh, I go to a church somewhere and preach a homily. And after the homily, sometimes, well, after the Mass, you'll stand at the, at the exit and you greet people and thank you very much for coming. And often people say, thank you, Father, for a wonderful homily. <laughs> you know, of course, you're, you're kind of flattered and uh, just that little comment, you know. You think, oh, <laughs> I must have done well. Yeah. But if nobody says anything the whole time, they just say, bye, Father, or whatever. They don't say anything. You think, this wasn't a good homily. And you think, uh, no, but we know I have to turn immediately to you and ask you, Lord, were you happy with my homily? So if the Lord came out and said, Father, that was good. <laughs> That's, but he's not going to come out. I mean, he's gonna, well, he could come out. I mean, I could see him, you know. Of course, uh, I didn't teach you anything, Lord. Uh, I mean, uh, but you could see deep into my heart. You could see the motivating factor of everything. And so what the gospel is proposing to us when it exhorts us to deny ourselves is to get off this train and board another train. One that leads to life. The train that leads to life is ultimately faith in him who said, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. We have to believe that. Even if he is in discomfort, you'll be happier. Even if you do things that you don't like, you'll be happier. You'll be closer to me. You'll be purified. It's really the train of rectitude of intention. Our Lord seems to suggest that he who wants to save his life at all costs, making it his basic value, who's fixated on seeking, let's say, human applause, 
or is overly obsessed with human security, that person, that person, might well lose eternal life. Whereas he who is ready to lose his earthly security, earthly recognition, human recognition, the one who is ready to take those kinds of risks with human outcomes, and is ready to fight off any enemies of his soul, that person will gain eternal life. Like St. Joseph had. That he gained eternal life even though he was promoting something that was enormously unpopular in his time. That is, to help people to be united to the Holy Father in Rome. I mean, he defended the Byzantine liturgy, but there was nothing wrong with the liturgy. That wasn't the problem. It was being united with Rome. Maybe we find that getting on this train is too much. We can't get the ticket for this train. It's too hard to always work with such rectitude of intention. But, but, with our Lord's grace, well, he's ready to give us first-class tickets. So you get on the right train. All we have to do is get on the train. Just get on the train. And if ever we fall off and we are motivated by human, human reasons, just get, just get back on again. <laughs> That's all. Just get back on. So, when I'm working and I'm seeking human adulation, and I'm saying, oh, I hope they like this, I hope they, they praise me, or we feel the joy of being praised in something, or we think we're better, or something like that, just shake that off. Just get back on the good train. I'm doing this for you, Lord. I'm, that's the right train. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. I do this for you, Help me to get back on the right train. That's what we have to do. Get on the right train. There's a beautiful passage in Friends of God, in one of the homilies by St. Josebria. He says, It is folly to undertake a hard and difficult task just to be admired. To put great effort into seeking God's commandments with but an earthly reward in mind. Whoever practices virtue for the sake of some human benefit is like a person who sells off a priceless heirloom for just a few coins. He could have won heaven, but he is content instead with fleeting praise. That is why they say that the hopes of hypocrites are like a spider's web. So much ever goes into weaving it. And in the end, it is blown away by the puff of the, of the wind of death. The puff of the wind of death, he says. Indeed, we're on the train on the way to death. So maybe today as you work or as you do your stuff, you know, it's good just to rectify the intention and to do everything for the glory of God. And then maybe afterwards when you look at your day, when you do examination of conscience, you see you may have slipped up. Slipped up. Maybe you said something just to impress or you sought to draw attention to yourself in some way to prove yourself 
Well, uh, no problem. It's okay. Just it's just an opportunity to make an act of contrition. It's just a way of getting back on the train. Ask forgiveness when you get on the wrong train. Right? You just got to know when you're on the wrong train. That's the key. You got to know when you're on the wrong train. It's like the prophet Ezekiel says, uh, a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. That's, that's what happens when we are on the right train. We're, we're giving a new heart, a heart of flesh that really knows how to love and give itself. And when he's talking about this new heart, he's really talking about our inner core, our inner dispositions, that, that deep rectitude that we must always have when we're working, when we're acting, when we're living, when we're talking, that is ultimately a deep ability to love. To really love and to die to ourselves for love of God. And when he says, um, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and walk all in, and observe all my ordinances. Well, uh, my spirit—that's our motivation. That's our inner motivation. What gives me drive? What makes me get up in the morning? And how it will affect my will? I mean, I'm sure whenever you wake up in the morning and the alarm goes off, mostly you guys—you're thinking, "I would prefer personally. I would prefer to stay in bed." especially when it's cold in the winter. But what's your drive? Lord, I want to serve you. I want to give myself to you, even though I have to get out of this warm bed. That's a way of dying, or it's a way of getting on the right train. That way heart and spirit work together. There was a 17th century saint from France. His name was Saint-Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort who is uh, revered for his intense devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he had a prayer, a prayer that was a prayer of entrustment to Our Lady. It was totus tus ego sum, which means I am all yours. And in short, it's just totus tubus. And it was the motto, the Episcopal motto, on the coat of arms of uh, Pope John Paul II when he was a, a bishop and of course when he was Pope and we used to when we had visits when the, he came we used to have flags and banners and it would say totus tus and we would wave it in the air totus tus totus most people said totus tus what the heck's that you know? totus tus we would say means I am all yours and they would say I am all whose and then we had the enter into a theological debate, right? What, what it really meant. For us, it meant a way of saying to Our Lady, I am all yours. But it is also, in a secondary way, it was also a way of telling the Pope, we're behind you, we're all yours, we love you. You know, Totus Tus was a way of saying, John Paul II, we love you. But it was like a secret message that nobody seemed to understand, you know. The, the classic image is... Uh, 
but some people would say totus tuus what does that mean and somebody said oh I know what that means that means opus day in Latin you know but the, I don't know if that's just an urban myth but uh, I don't know who knows but uh, so well we can say that I'm all yours and every time we say that it's like getting back on the proper train our blessed mother will intercede for us so that our rectitude of intention is always done with faith I thank you, my God, for the resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.